WBNE. Hello and welcome to episode 87, All About the Hobbit, Chapter 1, An Unexpected Party, being the 87th part of That's What I'm Talking About. My name is Mary Clay. If that's too complicated for you, just call me MC. And today I'm joined by Dr. Corey Olson, the Tolkien professor, the Tolkien professor, I should say, (laughs) himself. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah. um, I guess it's been a while since I've acknowledged the fact that, yes, on my podcast, I do say Tolkien, but that's just for the sake of the pun. I understand it's Tolkien. That's okay. (laughs) Well, you know, it's it's kind of like probably actually somewhere in the middle like it's not exactly keen exactly but it's yeah it's 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 fine it's fine everybody <laughs> knows what you're talking about yeah exactly exactly um and today we are starting listeners this is so exciting we are at last starting the hobbit which that's right um i should have started with in the first place but i did lord of the rings it's all fine we got here anyway it just took me a little bit longer Corey. before we jump into the chapter why don't you tell me a little bit about your history history with Lord of the Rings. How did you get into it? Um, and kind of where did your interests lead you to from there? Sure. So I first read Tolkien when I was um, eight. Uh, I was eight years old. When I was seven, my parents read the Chronicles of Narnia with me. And I loved the Chronicles of Narnia. I was a big C.S. Lewis fan. Always have been. And um, I had a cousin. My parents didn't know Tolkien at all, though. We didn't have any Tolkien in the house. And I had a cousin, though, who did know Tolkien. And so he heard that I really liked Narnia. And so he gave me a copy of The Hobbit, I think, for Christmas that year. And he was like, if you like the Chronicles of Narnia, you'll like this, too. So he gave me The Hobbit. And I... I did indeed quite like The Hobbit and uh, got The Lord of the Rings as soon as I could after that. And so I read both The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings at the age of eight and pretty much have been reading and rereading them at least once a year ever since. So, you know, my own, uh, there are a whole many crazy adventures uh, that uh, the, you know, my own Tolkien reading has led me through. I eventually, of course, majored in English and went to graduate school and got a PhD in medieval literature, which is totally Tolkien's fault, by the way. (laughs) Um, You know, I'm quite sure that my love of uh, medieval things and my enjoyment of medieval literature was really nurtured by my reading of Tolkien as a kid throughout my childhood. And then when I was, you know, finally, when I was teaching, I was, you know, I got a job as a medieval lit instructor and was uh, told to create a whole bunch of new courses for my students. And that was when I had this flashbulb moment when I was like, wait a second, I could teach a class on Tolkien. That would be great. (laughs) And so I taught a Tolkien class. And that's the thing that then after that led me to start my podcast on Tolkien back in 2009, you know, and then from out of that, like, you know, starting up a whole online university from scratch kind of grew out of that. So it's so true. Like you do really have to be careful when you step outside your door because you never know what's going to happen. So that's where my uh, uh, Tolkien reading has led me. But I still I just like I still reread The Lord of the Rings every year. Uh, you know, I just uh, still have always just loved the primary text uh, very, very much. And that's where I where, where I still am. I'm uh, I'm I'm in right now in in many uh, many partings of just uh, saying goodbye to Treebeard oh. on the way back up from Minas Tirith. Um, it's a rough when, one. Yeah, yeah. When uh, uh, in my annual rereading, I'm, I'm you know in the last stages of the Return of the King now. Uh, so you know that's that's what I still do. Awesome. That's all amazing. Um, I should also mention that I I found you on a Wired video on YouTube. Right. Um, right. Because I was like only recently in recent months able to kind of dive into Lord of the Rings mm-hmm. on the internet once I had finished the books because I just spoilers abound for someone who was, you know, 70 years late to the game. Um, And so I found your video on Wired where you're answering all of these questions that Lord of the Rings fans have. And I just loved how approachable you made it, that you were very, you explained things very simply. And that's just kind of the, the vibe I'm trying to go with, with my podcast is making Lord of the Rings and Tolkien accessible to people who are like, this seems like a very daunting series and books to dive into and just 
making it more, you know, reader friendly. So I, I appreciate that because there are a lot of people, unfortunately, that I've experienced uh, and mm-hmm. met on the internet who feel they are very superior to others right. with their opinions. <laughs> so I'm grateful that you aren't one of those people. <laughs> oh, well, thanks. No, it's it's always been, you know, t- for me, Tolkien has always been a way to connect with people, you know, like it's a, a, a common ground throughout my life. It's been a common ground, you know, and uh, it's been fun. I mean, it's been, you know, I remember when the Peter Jackson films came out, you know, I'm old enough that I was already an established adult Tolkien reader when the Peter Jackson movies first came out. And I remember like the first generation kind of snobbery or like impulse to snobbery, you know, to look down on those people who had merely watched the films or, you know, look down on people who had discovered Tolkien through the films and be like, oh, well, they are not real Tolkien fans. Um, and, you know, that's extremely tiresome. <laughs> uh, it's it's and really a very self-defeating way to look Look at things. You know, it's I was always really grateful for the Peter Jackson films because it created a much wider community. And mm-hmm. that's why I'm similarly really looking forward to the Amazon series, because I assume that, again, there will be more people who will, you know, discover Tolkien either for the first time or essentially for the first time, you know, and re- sit down and read them for the first time. Um, and having seen now over many years the wonderful fruit that has come of it, you know, to see folks who, you know, because I have a huge respect for casual readers of Tolkien, for like non-scholarly readers of Tolkien. I have learned so much from talking to people over the internet, through my podcast, through my courses and things. Um, I, I've, I just, I've learned so much from other Tolkien readers uh, that, you know, it just, it's in my mind kind of silly to try to, you know, rigidly maintain lines like that. Beautifully, wonderfully put. Yes, I wholeheartedly agree. Now we will jump into the chapter discussion. Oh my god, I'm just so I'm just so thrilled to be starting this and reading this finally. Um, this is chapter one, an unexpected party, which I did not realize when I was reading Lord of the Rings that the first chapter of that of Fellowship, um, a long expected party, is a callback to this. <laughs> yes, it's one of the fun things about doing it in reverse order. You know, is yeah. that you do you do get that uh, like oh now I understand you know these later references and things. So yeah, yeah, no, that's that's definitely fun. Mm-hmm. It starts off with that very iconic iconic opener line in a hole in the ground there lived a hobbit just wonderful and i'm just gonna like i reading this like i didn't know how else to describe it other than it felt like i was reading a classic children's you know Mm -hmm. bedtime story Mm -hmm. which is exactly what it was exactly what it was yeah yeah by the way do do you know the story behind the first line yeah, I was actually yeah, I was actually going to um yeah. in my edition of the book there's a note from a preface from Christopher Tolkien. Yes. Which is just so wonderful to hear like from his point of view how mm-hmm. it all got started. Um do you want to go ahead and share how of the behind the scenes kind of of that opener line? It's a really fun moment uh and fun not only just because as like an isolated moment in itself it's really fun, but because it is extremely typical of how Tolkien's mind and creative process worked. It's just a wonderful little glimpse into what Tolkien's writing was. And of course, the story is he was ba- he's grading papers, basically he's grading exams. It was even worse than papers. It was like standardized exam essays he was grading. It's like, I can't even imagine anything worse as far as from a grading perspective than that, mm-hmm. right? So he's, he's great. And he, he came upon a, a blank page in the student exam book that he was reading. And he just takes out his pen and he writes down in the hole in the ground, there lived a hobbit. And he had no idea where that came from. He didn't know what a hobbit was. He had to find out. Like He was like, the next thing was like, and the next thing I had to dis- I had to find out f- what hobbits were. I didn't even know. That's the kind of thing that, ha- like writing is a like a voyage of discovery for Tolkien all the way through. Like he, um, it's not that he doesn't do any planning. You know, he like plans ahead in waves, but whenever he gets there, things always change. There's so many things in The Lord of the Rings, which not only he didn't, see coming when he started. I mean, that's almost everything in The Lord of the Rings he didn't see coming when he started. But that when he comes across them, like, these things just kind of come out. And then his whole attitude towards it is, well, now I have to find out what that is. That's how the whole Ring Wraith thing came about. The entire Ring of Power storyline in the in the, in the Lord of the Rings came about when he was, he got 
Frodo out on the road, right? And then this this horse started coming up behind him, you know, the sound of hooves, and they ditched off the side of the road because they were thinking it was Gandalf. And the thing is, Tolkien also thought it was Gandalf when he wrote that. Like, he was going to make Gandalf come along. And then for some reason, when he wrote White Horse, he crosses out white and wrote black above it. And then it was like suddenly this black, mysterious, scary figure. And he had no idea who or what this thing was. And he had to figure it out. Like, what is this thing? And what's threatening them? And why is this happening? Um, That's totally Tolkien's method. So the entire concept of the Hobbit, the whole idea of Hobbits, the whole idea of the Shire, uh, you know, this was all something that he was just like, okay, um, (laughs) I got to figure this out, I guess. So, so yeah, it's just such a classic, uh, kind of Tolkien composition moment there. Mm-hmm. And then it said, it describes the Hobbit hole. It's very cozy and warm. And it says it had a perfectly round door, like a porthole painted green with a shiny yellow brass knob in the exact middle. And it's just so funny to think about that, like the color of this door is essentially mm-hmm. what led us to this series and to, to the Hobbit. And then later on to Lord of the Rings and this vast world that he created in the preface christopher tolkien shares he also remembered that i then between four and five years old was greatly concerned with petty consistency as the story unfolded and that on one occasion i interrupted last time you said bilbo's front door was blue and you said thorin had a golden tassel on his hood but you've just said that bilbo's front door was green and the tassel on thorin's hood was silver at which point my father muttered damn the boy and then strode across the room to his desk to make a note yes just so wonderful yes so we have this description of the hobbit hole and uh of the bagginses baggins is the name of this hobbit that lives in this particular hole it says this is a story of how a baggins had an adventure and found himself doing and saying things altogether unexpected because we come to find out the bagginses and hobbits in general are very respectable they're very happy with their comfortable safe lives in the shire they don't need to leave and do anything crazy like go on adventures right or almost all right there are those tooks who you know those, they, those crazy tooks <laughs> they are unpredictable and uh and and act in these strange ways so yeah it's one of the things that is most clearly established there, isn't it? At the beginning of the chapter, this sense of like the normal quiet life. And I always, I find it a really, when you think about how as a reader, especially as a child, you know, you're kind of brought in to this world, right? On the one hand, you're immediately confronted with like, this is very different, right? These are hobbits. These are not humans. You know, they're kind of funny little creatures. They live in holes in the ground. So it's like, we're, we're immediately in a fantasy world, right? This is not the real world. And yet it's a lot like our real world, right? Bag End is very comfortable and might look a lot like a lot of things in your house. And it's not like he's in a wild, crazy and adventurous world, right? In fact, right away, the way I've often talked about this is like, in case you might happen to be a reader, you know, or or, or a child who's a little resistant to fantasy and adventures, you know, who might like have a hard time imagining, you know, strange and magical things and, you know, it might kind of prefer quiet, normal life. Well, Bilbo's on your side because mm-hmm. he doesn't he doesn't want anything to do with that stuff either. You know, we get sent off on the adventure there over the course of chapter one. But of course, we get wrapped up in how Bilbo is overwhelmed and and you know, sent off and has an adventurer invade his house, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but the the foundation for that is laid in Bilbo's ancestry, right? He's mostly Bagginsish, mostly you know a copy of his respectable father. But you know, there's something strange in there. Yes, right? there's I something something queer from his took makeup. <laughs> um, I love that was something I loved in the first couple chapters of Fellowship was getting all of this like Hobbit drama and the gossip of the different families in the Shire. It's just so fun. And so, yes, it mentions that Bilbo's mother was a Took, um, and it mentions that the Tooks are... Um, 
They were not as respectable as the Baggins, though they were undoubtedly richer. Undoubtedly richer. There's money in adventuring, apparently. Yeah. (laughs) And so. Which, of course, Bilbo will find. Yeah. Oh, actually, (laughs) I should mention it's. Yeah, it also says um, he may have lost the neighbor's respect, but he gained. Well, you will see whether he gained anything in the end. So I like this very whimsical um, kind of dry humor of the of the narrator, which I guess in Fellowship we learn the narrator is technically Bilbo because he's the one that that writes The Hobbit. Yeah. And it's fun. When you, so when you look at the, the Lord of the Rings, a lot of the things that people notice is that the tone of the Lord of the Rings changes a lot from the oh, first yeah. chapter. <laughs> you know, by the time you get to chapter three and four, we're in a very different place. Right. And it's clear, you know, so on the one hand you can like historically you can see how that happened because you know he wrote the hobbit and he wrote the hobbit as a kid's book and so he wrote it with this the the kind of uh you know dry comedic voice of the narrator this is very late 19th early 20th century children's book kind of tone like this is a very common sort of like if, if you think about it, it's a very similar to the kind of voice that you can hear in alice in wonderland lots of kids books from this time uh the wind in the willows right um there are a lot of kids books from from like that 50 year stretch or so which have narrators kind of like this and that's kind of the genre that he's writing in right and then he starts off writing a sequel to that so he's in the same genre and then it kind of grows and shifts into something else yeah. but it's it's especially fun in the um like thinking about the the sort of fictional frame of the books right because as you say bilbo is the author right but of course in the lord of the rings we learn that frodo actually wrote the majority of the lord of the rings itself mm-hmm. right so i like to think that the narrative voice that funny kind of whimsical narrative voice is bilbo's voice Right. And he wrote the first few chapters and then Frodo kind of takes it over. And that's why it becomes more serious. Oh, I like that because it would be it would make sense that once because Frodo only, you know, writes their story when he gets back from destroying the ring and everything. And he's just so touched by darkness and he's just so depressed (laughs) living in the Shire in those years when they get home. So that makes sense that, yeah, the writing and the the tone and everything in Lord of the Rings would be different because Frodo is writing it. Frodo's writing. That's it, amazing. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. It's so cool how how that how that fits. He was so great at making that uh, fitting that kind of a frame to the to the text that yeah, was there. Yeah. This is this is Tolkien's method all the time. By the way, like if there was something that didn't quite work, like again, like the way we, you know you'd be like, hey, Tolkien, you know the the tone is kind of uneven. You know, chapter one doesn't really sound like chapter four. Maybe you should fix that. Tolkien wouldn't fix it. Instead, he'd be like, instead of fixing it, I'm going to explain it. Right? I'm going <laughs> to invent a story that explains why it is that way, and that's so much more fun than oh, it is to, yeah. to just change it. Yeah, I should um I should also mention that right off the bat, this is so much easier to read than Fellowship of the Ring. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> just so much easier to read rather than slogging through like page after page of like exposition and, and not that it's not wonderful, but you know, I make fun of Tolkien a lot for going off for two pages of like landscape description. Absolutely, so. absolutely. That's what he is most famous for. Though you you can you can hear a similar kind of thing like the business about the door right the collar of the door and the doorknob mm-hmm. and the exact center and stuff the thing about that like Tolkien Tolkien was a painter actually kind of first and foremost I think he I think he thinks and imagines like a painter before mm-hmm. like he was painting before he was writing I mean he was a better writer than he was a painter you know he wasn't a great painter but he was a good painter but he loved painting landscape descriptions so I am a hundred percent sure that the reason we get all those passages right when he's writing the first thing that happens when he's like imagining a scene or we're going is like he can see it he can see it on he can see it like a painter and in fact you can see if you if you look uh, if you ever get a chance to look at like his collected paintings many of the scenes that he does describe in those he's actually has painted right not all of them by any stretch but many of them he does like you can you can see a painting and go right to a passage of text and say like get yeah, this is what he was trying to capture he's not mm-hmm. illustrating right he's not illustrating the text it's the other way around so yeah his landscapes are really really detailed and it's one of the things that makes so many people fall in love with middle earth it, it is a real obstacle for a lot of people <laughs> I, I absolutely acknowledge that it, it makes it especially the lord of the rings difficult to read and he's much lighter on that kind of thing yeah uh in the hobbit i should say though that like 
of course, without all of these descriptions, The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings wouldn't be what it is today because he right. is a master of world building because of adding in all these details. Like there's a whole paragraph about a description of um, what are hobbits. They are inclined to be fat in the stomach. They dress in bright colors, wear no shoes. They have deep, fruity laughs, especially after dinner. All of this like beautiful descriptive language is just wonderful, masterful world building for for this world that we're going to be spending, you know, the next. Yes. Uh, I haven't even checked how long this book is, you know, three, 270, 300 pages, uh, mm-hmm. you know, whatever mm-hmm. in my in my edition. Right. right. Yeah. So I believe we were. Ta- yeah, we were talking about the Tooks and the Bagginses. Mm-hmm. And the Bagginses. Yep. And yes, Bilbo does have a little more Took in him. It says he got something a bit queer in his makeup from the Took side, something that only only waited for a chance to come out. The chance never arrived until Bilbo Baggins was grown up, being about 50 years old or so and living in the beautiful hobbit hole built by his father, which I have just described for you, until he had in fact apparently settled down immovably. And I like this idea that you have this very kind of this idea, this trope of the unexpected hero. Yes. Which is fitting for an unexpected party. Um, right, right. <laughs> this person who is very settled and comfortable in their life and doesn't think that there's anything extraordinary that will ever happen to him. But of course, you know, just goes to show it's never, never too late to go on an adventure or try something new. That's right. Ultimately, like the genre of The Hobbit ultimately is fairy tale. It's a fairy mm-hmm. tale. That's what it is. So, you know, and you think about it, most fairy tales start with a normal person, right, going about normal things who then like goes into the wood and meets a fairy or, you know, comes to the witch's house or, or whatever. That's, that's a, you know, a very normal uh, sort of trope. Or maybe even, you know, it's like the king and queen's court and then the fairy comes to the court, right? And then strange things start happening or whatever. But that idea of like a normal frame and then the real story is when the normal world comes in contact with with magic, with this other world. Mm-hmm. Next, we have an introduction of a familiar character for me. It's Gandalf. And I am so thrilled to get to spend more time with Gandalf the Grey because mm-hmm. Gandalf the White is, he's a lot more serious. He's not right. as, you know, funny or, or whatever. So I'm really excited to to get to see more of Gandalf. And especially just in this first chapter of seeing, like, the kind of mischief that he sets up for Bilbo. Right. And it honestly, had someone asked me a question for, I did a, I did a Q&A episode before this episode to kind of talk about my expectations or predictions for The Hobbit. And someone asked a question that I ended up not answering on the episode, but now it it makes sense, which was that do you it was something along the lines of do you think Gandalf actually likes hobbits or does he like torturing them <laughs> <laughs> or, or you know something to that effect, which is funny because he does say actually I'll, I'll wait until we get to that part. But there is a particular line he says that does make me wonder, like, Gandalf, how much of this is you doing all of this for your own entertainment? Right, right. Exactly. <laughs> um, so it mentions that Gandalf uh, has been known to come into the Shire every now and then. Tales and adventures sprouted up all over the place wherever he went in the most extraordinary fashion. And he comes across Bilbo, and Bilbo doesn't recognize Gandalf, and they kind of talk for a bit, and Gandalf mentions that he's here to find someone to join him on an adventure. Mm-hmm. And Bilbo says, We are plain, quiet folk and have no use for adventures. Nasty, disturbing, uncomfortable things make you late for dinner. I love that little note. Make you <laughs> yes. late for dinner. <laughs> the complete ignorance of Bilbo about adventures. Yes, yes, Bilbo, they'll make you late for dinner. Yeah. Right? Like he doesn't even understand really the category of adventure. Right? <laughs> the idea of I'm going to go off and I'm going to be journeying for an entire year. Right? And who knows what's going to be happening. Like that is so far off his radar screen that, uh, you know, an adventure is like an unexpected thing that happens to you on the way home from the post office, basically, Mm -hmm. you know, like it might make you late for dinner. Uh, He just has he that's 
the extent to which he has no idea of what's going on. It's yeah, really yeah. Fun. And Bilbo is, I like how Bilbo is, he's very passive aggressive and yet still polite because he's a hobbit. Um, And he just kind of decides that he's done talking to Gandalf. And so right. he just stands there smoking for a while. And then it says he had decided that he was not quite his sort and wanted him to go away. Yes. <laughs> and finally he turns to him and says, good morning. We don't want any adventures here. Thank you. And tells him to go try somewhere else and Gandalf is finally I was like you're trying to get rid of me <laughs> and exactly as exactly as Gandalf says it, he sounds like Bilbo sounds like he's trying to get rid of a salesman right yeah uh, we don't want any adventures here thank you no thank no, you no, no thank you <laughs> yes Gandalf finally says like do you know who I am you remember my name you just might not be putting the name to the face I'm right. Gandalf and right. this is what sparks Bilbo's memory of all of the adventurous things and mischief that Gandalf has caused in the Shire. He talks about um, telling tales about dragons and goblins, setting off fireworks, um, having... I love this sentence. It says you... So he's describing these these fireworks in great detail. And then the narrator says, you will notice already that Mr. Baggins was not quite so prosy as he liked to believe. Also that he was very fond of flowers. Yes. So I love this first little <laughs> glimpse that like Bilbo is he wants to kind of act and pretend like the fireworks and everything are are above mm -hmm. him or he's mm -hmm. above it, I guess. Right, 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 right. But he is very he can't help but be drawn into that excitement. Exactly. Yeah. One thing I would um, point out. And so reveal anything from later in the book, but this is, it's going to be a little theme and we'll come back to it here in chap before the end of chapter one or near the end of chapter one, but it's kind of a, it's going to be a theme throughout the book, which is the question of, of, of identity and especially of, of Bilbo's identity. The way that Gandalf says that, um, yes, you do know my names, but you don't remember that I belong to it. Right. So that question of like the connection between a person and the person's name. Mm -hmm. Right. And of course, Bilbo is going to get a name from Gandalf in the end of chapter one. Right. Burglar is the name. You know, he's going to he's going to be called right. a burglar. You know, <laughs> uh, uh, if I say he's a burglar, then a burglar he is. Uh, you know, Gandalf is going to say later on in, in the chapter. And that question of like the link between, you know, Bilbo doesn't think that he belongs to that name uh and to what extent does he belong to it and 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 who is he what is he's you know bilbo baggins but we've already talked about like he's both took and baggins so like which one is he is he mr baggins or is he mr took and how is how do those things can those two things live together and how do they live together and what does that look like right now so far he's just been all baggins and the took side of him has just been kind of suppressed or even repressed perhaps right um but it's going to come out and we see it uh, even notice in that passage about uh him not being so prosy as he liked to believe see like he has mm -hmm. ideas about himself his own identity and who he is but he's not entirely right about that right you know there are things about himself that he doesn't even really yet understand or confront all of these things are things that are going to be really a big part of the developing story of bilbo over the course of the hobbit Mm -hmm. Now Gandalf says like, okay, well now I will send you on this adventure like you asked for. And Bilbo's like, I haven't asked for anything. <laughs> Gandalf says, um, says, in fact, I will go so far as to send you on this adventure. Very amusing for me. This is what I was kind of referring to earlier. Very amusing yeah. for me. Very good for you and profitable too. very likely if you ever get over it. <laughs> If you ever get over it, it's such a funny line. Yeah, yeah. Which, of course, means both like if you ever recover from the experience, but also literally means if you survive. Yeah. <laughs> you know? like, so, yeah. Like if you yeah. make it back. If you make it back. There might yeah, be something it, in it for you. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, oh, yeah. Oh, I, I forgot one thing I was going to add before. Um, another one of those wonderful Tolkien discovery moments. That line when he said, um, but he gained, well, you'll see if you think he gained anything in the end, right? Mm -hmm. um, earlier on. Tolkien was, when Tolkien wrote that, 
he himself had no idea how Bilbo's story was going to end. Like he, he didn't know. He didn't know. Like I always assumed that he wrote that in at the end, like after he'd written the book, right. As a kind of teaser. Right. right? Uh huh. But he himself was in fact, perfectly ignorant of what Bilbo would gain. When he this wrote is that. so funny to hear and learn about Tolkien because I always imagined him. And I think a lot of people imagined him too, as this guy, like locking himself in his office, sitting in the dark and his hair standing on end. And they're like red right. strings everywhere as he's trying to make everything connect so I love this idea of him like he's going on this adventure as well he he is um, he discovering is. things as we're discovering them exactly and and instead of somebody who had everything like worked out in advance and like has you know the whole picture in his head instead he's somebody like what he's really good at is like riddles like he's he's good at answering the questions like so what is a hobbit anyway you know and like who is that person on the black horse riding up you know the road behind frodo and you know like when he when he asks himself these questions he he comes to really good answers to these questions and he's able to put things together really really well but that's really the whole exercise for him is discovering the story and figuring it out and putting it together yeah that's just so wonderful bilbo sends gandalf on his way um but still invites him to tea the next afternoon. Mm-hmm. When he's in inside his house, finally, he's like, why did I ask him to tea? That was the dumbest thing in the world. I don't want to <laughs> see any more of this guy. Thwarted by his own politeness. Yes, yes. And Gandalf is outside and he's just kind of there laughing at himself. And then he makes a mark on Bilbo's door and leaves. So the next day, Bilbo hears a knock on the door and he's like, oh, shoot, that's right. Gandalf, I invited him to tea, goes to answer the door except it's not Gandalf it's a dwarf and the dwarf names it okay this is where (laughs) I'm already gonna give up on keeping all of the names straight yeah it's complicated (laughs) and honestly they're meant to be funny I mean he 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 made up almost none of these names um all these names are straight out of old Norse dwarf poetry oh you're kidding oh no it's all there (laughs) uh yeah um, but they're designed, I mean, he threw them together, I think, comically. Like, they're, yeah. they're oh, supposed yeah. to be kind of confusing. Yeah. It's very, yeah, it's very like classic fairy tale esque because they're all, they mm-hmm. all rhyme, which you'll, yep. yeah, we'll see, we'll see in a bit. They all rhyme. So, anyway, yes, this dwarf comes and knocks on the door and says he is Dwalin. Is that, am I, am I saying Dwalin. that correctly? Yep. Okay, great. Yep. In addition to reading it, I also listened to the audiobook chapter read by. Rob Inglis. Rob Inglis. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Listeners, I will leave a link to that in the description. I found a free audiobook um, online if you want to listen to that. There's also the recent Amy Circus record or a- Andy Circus recording of uh, of The Hobbit. Well, I didn't know about that. Just released last year. Yeah. <gasps> yeah. Yeah. He did a full unabridged recording of The Hobbit. Oh, that's wonderful. Of it's course, I can only think of it. I can only imagine it as if he's doing it in the Gollum voice, but that's not, that's not what he would do, but. <laughs> yeah, it might be like, it's, I was actually a little unsure how Andy Serkis's Gollum voice would work in The Hobbit, but it was good. <laughs> it was good. Yeah, that's so funny. Because I don't think I even know what Andy Serkis's real voice sounds like. It's, it's especially, of course, his his voices and uh, yeah, he's are, just so talented. Know, are mm-hmm. very very good. Yeah. Yeah. So this dwarf Dwalin comes, and he it was a dwarf with a blue beard tucked into a golden belt and very bright eyes under his dark green hood. And so he walks in, welcomes himself, hangs his hood up. Bilbo sets out some tea and cakes for him, and then there is another knock on the door, and this continues to happen. These Dwarves come in and knock on the door. The next door is Balin, which I'm so sad to make the connection that it's the same Balin that we find out dies in Moria in in, um, Fellowship Mm -hmm. of the Ring. So like that's sad to know that I know what happens to him (laughs) and it's not a good ending. Right, right. No, it's not. But he did have a very full and exciting career, Balin did. He's quite old. He's the second oldest member of the dwarf party here. Uh, Thorin's the oldest. I guess that makes me feel better. (laughs) 
<laughs> oh, yeah. No, and Balin did almost everything. I mean, like, Balin was involved in almost every major story of, like, you know, the the dwarves have had going. You know, he was, he's been uh, from, you know, the attack of uh, the dragon, as we're going to learn here in a little bit. You know, he was there with Thorin, uh, you know, on that day when, when the dragon attacked, all the way up through, you know, their entire adventure. And then, you know... Uh, reclaiming Moria afterwards. Balin has an amazing career, but it doesn't end super well. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Yeah. So as he lets Balin in, Bilbo thinks, or Bilbo, yeah, it says he liked visitors, but he liked to know them before they arrived, and he preferred to ask them himself. I just love <laughs> yes. that. Again, the like, just you know, kind of dry wit. Absolutely. Um, of of Bilbo, so great. Balin asks for beer. And Bilbo's like, I mean, I guess I'll, I guess I'll go get you beer. He's just so confused about what's happening. Dwarves keep knocking on the door, and every time he goes, he's like, this surely must be Gandalf at this point. Next is Keely and Feely, and they are younger dwarves. Mm-hmm. And they all sit down and they talked about mines and gold and troubles with the goblins and the depredations of dragons and lots of other things, which he did not understand and did not want to, for they sounded much too adventurous. Right. And then our next group of people at the door is Dory, Nori, Ori, Oin, and Gloin. That's right. <laughs> They all have, I should mention, they all have very colorful descriptions, which is definitely different than how I'm picturing. Um, I haven't seen the Hobbit movies, but I have seen, you know, Gimli from Lord of the Rings. So I'm picturing them as, you know, they have, you know, normal colored hair and they're in brown tones and stuff. So hearing these very colorful descriptions of they have blue beards and yellow beards. And And this is exactly, again, remember we're in, this is a fairy tale. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So the like bright colors and. Uh, and there's a lot of ways in which the Hobbit story, it's not really designed to be, you know, sort of pictured like that. It doesn't have that kind of, con- it's not shooting for that kind of realism. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, it's just meant to be, it's just fun and mm-hmm. fantastical, I guess. The next knock on the door, Bilbo sits down in the hallway first and just puts his head in his hands. And that just makes me laugh just imagining him just sitting there being like, what is going on? What have I gotten into? What is happening? What is happening? Yes. Yes. And then when he lets when he lets them in, the dwarves all come tumbling in. It is Biffer, Bofer, Bomber. And Thorin. And then I believe at last, finally, Gandalf makes an appearance. Yeah. And we're like, okay, are we are we going to get an explanation finally to what's happening? The answer is no, because then everyone puts in an order for just all sorts of foods. There's raspberry and jam, apple tarts, mince pies, pork pie, cakes, ale, coffee. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and of course, Bilbo, being a hobbit, isn't going to be rude to them. And he runs around to you know meet every um request uh and then it says he was beginning to wonder whether a most wretched adventure had not come right into his house right he was trying to avoid adventure but this is i mean there's almost the sense here right especially with like that discussion about the depredations of dragons and stuff like that it's like he's 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 there holding his head in his hands because he's now beginning to understand what like the word adventure means Mm -hmm. you know really yeah Yeah, and he's like i don't know if i want to go fight dragons like i was thinking more an adventure down to the lake in uh tookland (laughs) five miles from here yeah exactly that's the adventure i want and after they all finish eating bilbo goes to pick it all to clean everything up the dwarves are like "No, no no we can do it we can do it and bilbo is fussing at them saying like please be careful and then the dwarves proceed to mock him in song <laughs> and make fun of him and say, chip the glasses and crack the plates, blunt the knives and bend the forks. That's what Bilbo Baggins hates. Smash the bottles and burn the corks. <laughs> so yep. just poor Bilbo. He's had these people. He has no idea who they are. They barge into his house. They demand all his food and drinks. They are talking about all these adventurous things that he has no idea what they are, what they mean. And then now they're they're mocking him about, please be careful with all of my my cutlery and my plates and everything it's the least you can do i think for barging in here uninvited that's right and you'll notice how they both are making fun of him right i mean they're teasing him 
for being as upset as he is. And yet, of course, they're not actually doing mm. any of those terrible things. You know, they're not actually they're not that rude. Mean, yeah. No, no, they're not actually rude or mean. They're just they're just teasing him, mm. right? Um, they can they can see they find it funny how upset he is. Um, but of course, in fact, they do quite the opposite, right? They're very quick and efficient in uh, putting all the dishes away and cleaning up and everything. Mm-hmm. So after dinner, they have some music. Everyone has brought an instrument of some kind. They all sit around and sing and play, and they start singing a song that I recognize from Sea Shanty TikTok, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I recognize this song because it was something that uh, these, like, they looked like dwarves. It was these big, burly dudes who are baritones, and they started uh-huh. a cha- a video chain adding in these beautiful harmonies to um, Far Over the Misty Mountains Cold. Right, um, right. So I recognize this song from that video that I think came out of uh, a couple weeks ago, Sea Shanty was the trend on TikTok. So so they sing this song that, I'll be honest, I skimmed through. I've never been a big fan of reading the songs um, Ah. because I'm usually usually like, the songs have nothing to do with the plot. And then, of course, we find out later and Thorin kind of makes fun of Bilbo of like, you didn't listen, did you? And I was like, oh, Thorin knows that I didn't exactly read all the way through the song. Exactly. So this is this is uh, this has been one of my like campaigns for many years is to try <laughs> to encourage people to read the songs because although it is generally true that they don't much further the plot, like. You're not going to, you know, fail to understand the story if you skip them. But they do a very great deal of work, uh, especially in helping to introduce characters and in particular, like atmospheres and things. And in The Hobbit in particular, the reason I would argue that it's very important to read the songs, we learn that's where he does a lot of his world building, basically. Mm -hmm. Like, what are dwarves like? What are goblins like? What are elves like? You know, what all of these questions get answered first and foremost in the songs, like much more clearly in the songs than anywhere else. Um, so again, it's true that you don't lose plot if you skip the, uh, the songs, but there's a great deal that is going on, uh, in the songs that really give us a lot that we might not have noticed or known otherwise that he never really tells us otherwise. Sometimes he'll give us the same thing in prose afterwards, like the passage you were talking about where Bilbo says, I want it all. Uh, I want it all fair and square. Yeah. I want it. I, I want it in prose too, in addition to uh, the song, but that doesn't always happen. Right. And some, it's not that it's always crucially important, um, but sometimes ideas and themes uh, are pointed to in those songs, mm-hmm. which, you know, we might, miss or not think about much if they weren't brought up in the songs but often it's it's more about like characters and you know the categories of characters and how how they're thinking and what they're like he does a lot of world building in the song so yeah i should mention another time this bit me in the butt was when i uh made fun of in fellowship when aragorn is the hot he's trying to like keep the hobbits entertained or whatever basically and he starts singing and telling the tale of uh luthien baron and luthien and I was like, I'm sure this doesn't matter. And then come to find out later, that's basically one of the only times Tolkien hints at Aragorn and Arwen's relationship. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was mm-hmm. like, I'm sure this song means nothing. And then turns out it was act- it actually had a great deal to do with Aragorn's character. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So yeah, I guess I should. Uh, I will be paying more attention to the songs uh, in the in the future. Yes. <laughs> well, one. Uh, if I could be excused a plug here, my book on the Hobbit, exploring J.R.R. Tolkien's The Hobbit, I do. I spend a lot of time doing it, looking at the poems because I know that a lot of people don't read the poems carefully or, or have a hard time figuring out like how to make anything mm. of the poems and stuff. Um, so I spend. Um, I spend a fair bit of time looking at each one of the poems and, and kind of talking about how it works and what's going on in there. So it's, it's, you know, potentially a resource for folks who, who want to think more about the poems, but aren't like super 
comfortable with it. Great. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, And so they finished the song and it says, as they sang, the Hobbit felt the love of beautiful things made by hands and by cunning and by magic moving through him, a fierce and jealous love, the desire of the hearts of dwarves. Then something Tookish woke up inside him and he wished to go and see the great mountains and hear the pine trees and the waterfalls and explore the caves and wear a sword instead of a walking stick. And so at this point, I'm like, all right, Gandalf, what kind of mischief have you started causing? What are you doing here? <laughs> mm-hmm. And it's the effect it's the effect of song on Bilbo, mm-hmm. right? As he is finding himself just transported in his own mind and imagination here. Yeah. And so they all sit around to talk. Then the dwar- the dwarves start talking about what they all came there to talk about. Of course, we don't know what that is yet because so Thor- Thorin stands up and starts talking. It mentions several times uh, throughout this chapter that he's a very important dwarf. Um, and it says, if he had been allowed, he probably would have gone on like this until he was out of breath without telling anyone there anything that was not known already. Which was kind of how I was feeling at that point, too, because he's just talking about like, um, uh, we're going to go on this journey that we might not return from the people who are new here or are young, like Keely and Philly might not know the exact situation. And he's just taking forever to get to the point, kind of a little bit intish almost. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and mm-hmm. so I'm at this point, I'm building up with as much frustration as Bilbo is. And then Bilbo just has like a panic attack. <laughs> right. Yep. Yep. <laughs> he has some kind of a fit and just starts screaming. He says, um, he kept on calling out struck by lightning, struck by lightning over and over again. And so they all, I don't know why this made me laugh, but they just pick him up and bring him to the other room and drop him on the couch. Like, well, mm, we dealt with that. Okay. On with, you know, what we're here to do. <laughs> <laughs> Gandalf describes him as an excitable little fellow. Then we have this like very random detail that made me laugh a lot, but it's just very random about um, the old Took's great grand uncle Bull Roarer. Um, and he was kind of the last. He, he had a like big grand old adventure um, and he charged the ranks of the goblins of Mount Graham in the Battle of the Green Fields and knocked their king's golfimbles head clean off with a wooden club. It sailed a hundred yards through the air and went down a rabbit hole. And in this battle and in this way, the battle was won and the game of golf invented at the same moment. Yeah. I, that was just so random and it made me laugh. And I don't know, just just very funny and and weird at the same absolutely. time absolutely absolutely and so then finally bilbo kind of wakes up and he goes back over to the room and hears gloin who i should i should mention of course we know gloin is gimli's father and he is talking about bilbo and is saying like i don't know like what i was expecting when i got here but it's not that that kid in there who who stood there um bobbing and puffing on the mat so they're right. all very doubtful of him as a burglar and Bilbo takes great offense to this and he's like now wait a minute (laughs) hang on I may not know what you're talking about but can you at least uh let me in on what's going on if you're going to insult me (laughs) Gloin says that they came there because there was a mark on the door that means a burglar wants a good job plenty of excitement and reasonable reward so we learned this is the mark that Gandalf put on the door the other day. <laughs> Which is why he was laughing when he wrote it, remember? <laughs> like he, he wrote it and was laughing quietly to himself because he knows how funny burglar looking for plenty of excitement. Yeah, I mean, that's hilarious when applied to Bilbo. Mm-hmm. And Gandalf knows it's hilarious. Yeah, It does almost in retrospect. It almost just looks like a practical joke on Gandalf's part. Yeah. Right? He's going to get serious about it in a minute. But in retrospect... It really did seem like it could have been just a, a practical joke. Yeah. And they say that you can also interpret burglar as expert treasure hunter, if that's what if that's what you'd prefer, if that makes it sound right. nicer to you. Right. Um, and so finally, yeah, it says Gandalf told us there was a man of the sort in these parts looking for a job at once. And he had arranged for a meeting here this Wednesday tea time. So finally, some of the pieces are coming together like, OK, Gandalf put all of this together. What's he doing? What's he up to? And he def- he defends Bilbo and he says, there's a lot more in him than you guess and a deal more than he has any idea of himself. 
I love that line because it's also, you know, I think a lot of us can find that applicable to ourselves in some situations. Absolutely. Absolutely. So finally, they start getting into some of the business of this meeting. And Gandalf gives Thorin his grandfather's map. Um, his grandfather, Thror. It is a plan of the mountain. I'm assuming they mean the Misty Mountain. Well, no, Thror and the mountain. No, that's that's the the, or is that the a different mountain. Set of mountain. Well, there's just a the mountain, the Lonely Mountain. Oh, yeah. okay, okay, got it. They're looking at this map and they see that there is a see a hidden passage marked on it, and they note that it's small, five feet high, the door, and three may walk abreast. And Bilbo's like, oh, that seems pretty big to me. <laughs> Which I'm wondering is that, so that's, I mean, of course, I'm sure I will learn more about why exactly Gandalf sought out Bilbo for this adventure. I'm sure I will learn more about that as this book goes on. But it just makes me wonder, like, so is the reason they're coming to get a hobbit because they need someone small who can sneak around into the mountain? Like, why exactly did Gandalf seek out Bilbo specifically if Bilbo doesn't even recognize Gandalf? So clearly they're not, like great friends that Gandalf knows that Bilbo has this tookish quality of him that makes him want to go on this adventure. So I will be interested to see in the coming, you know, chapters, like why exactly Bilbo? Why Bilbo? So yeah, they just keep talking about this door and there's a key and, um, talking about trying to get inside the mountain and the burglar. And finally, Bilbo says, First, I should like to know a bit more th- a bit more about things, said he, feeling all confused and a bit shaky inside, but so far still tookishly determined to go on with things. <laughs> so I love that again, the took in him is, is fighting to come out. Um, mm-hmm. Because at this point, he's like, you're talking about a dragon. You're talking about stealing things. I think I deserve to know a little bit more about what's going on. And this is, yeah, this is when Thorin says, like, haven't you been listening to our song? And that's when I was like, oh, whoops. Sorry. Um, sorry, Thorin. <laughs> that's right. Then Thorin explains, gives a little a little history lesson that his grandfather started mining in this mountain and discovered um, a lot of, it started building up a lot of wealth for the dwarves and they started working with the men nearby and they started building up a very reputable life for themselves in this town of Dale. But that could only last for so long, this wealth and all these treasures and everything that they're that they're getting, because that's when the dragon came. Dragons steal gold and jewels, you know, from men and elves and dwarves, wherever they can find them, and they guard their plunder as long as they live, which is practically forever unless they are killed, and never enjoy a brass ring of it. They talk about this attack that sm- Smaug, Smog, Smaug, yeah, Smaug. Right. Okay, great. <laughs> yeah, um, that Smaug did on the mountain, and Thorin says that he he was an adventurous lad at this time, so he was not at the mountain. He was out with some other dwarves, and so he saw what happened. And the dragon attacked the mountain, killed everyone inside, took the treasure, and now they want to get it back says we have never forgotten our stolen treasure we still mean to get it back and to bring our curses home to smog if we can and so that's the gist of what's happening and i would like to say i was kind of sort of on par sort of with my prediction for it. people were asking me like so what do you think the hobbit is about and i just right. kind of spitballing said like i know gandalf shows up at some point and tells bilbo to go on an adventure and i said something like i think they're going and gonna go on a treasure hunt so i'm not i wasn't too far off <laughs> no yeah treasure hunt is exactly it uh in fact, in fact that's uh that's not a spoiler uh, in chapter four, that exact phrase is going to be used. One of the dwarves is going to talk about bringing a hobbit along on a treasure hunt. So that's exactly it. There we go. All right. Then um, they start talking about the plan and what they're going to do and this map. And that's when Thorin's like, how exactly did you get this map, Gandalf? <laughs> and Gandalf mentions that he met his grandfather. He had been, I think, captured by a necromancer. <laughs> A prisoner in the dungeons of the necromancer. That's right. And then Thorin says, whatever were you doing there? And just, this is such a classic Gandalf thing from the Gandalf I know. He says, never you mind. I was finding things out as usual. Just keeping it vague and just not answering the question. So I'm like, yeah, Gandalf, what were you doing there? (laughs) If I know anything about Gandalf, 
We'll find out later what he was doing there. But of course, that's also the Lord of the Rings part of my mind, which is a much more complex story than The Hobbit. So we might not find out at all. Who knows? I mean, yeah, we do sort of find out in The Lord of the Rings what he was doing there, right? You know, that's when he discovered that the Necromancer was actually Sauron and all that stuff. Like that's, uh... that's what he was, And while he's there, he finds finds Thran. I, it was, I clearly forgot that part then. <laughs> no, it's, I mean, he mentions it, you know, he mentions it in the Council of Elrond and oh, a couple okay, other places, well, but it's, it's, That would yeah. be why I don't remember it because the Council <laughs> of Elrond is a hefty chapter and so it is much happens very much. there. So. Yeah, it's very true. <sighs> so, um, they decide that they're going to set off in the morning. Bilbo says, how about, you know, we all go to bed and get an early start. I will give you a good breakfast before you go. Before we go, I suppose you mean, said <laughs> Thorin. So he takes all of their breakfast orders. <laughs> yep. Um, they're all very specific orders. It says, after all the others had ordered their breakfast without so much as a please, which annoyed Bilbo very much. <laughs> so they go to bed and Bilbo can hear Thorin in the next room humming and singing to himself far over the misty mountains cold to dungeons deep and caverns old. We must away ere break of day to find our long forgotten gold. And Bilbo goes to bed and he's very determined that he is not going to get up early in the morning to make any of their breakfasts. That's right. <laughs> and that is how the chapter ends. Is there anything that we glossed over or didn't mention or bring up that you wanted to go back to? I, I would just I'd draw attention again to Gandalf's talking about Bilbo. Like I said, it does sound it does sound like it started for Gandalf almost like a practical joke, right? Like he was he he didn't really have a clear plan for how he was going, you know, why he was going to invite Bilbo and uh, connect Bilbo into this uh, adventure. And obviously found the idea of it funny, obviously found what he wrote on his door funny. But when it comes to it, right, when the dwarves are dissing on him and, and, and not believing in Bilbo, Gandalf doubles down on it. Right. I say he is a burglar and a burglar. You know, if I say he is a burglar, then a burglar he is or will be when the time comes. There isn't any sense at the beginning of the chapter like he Gandalf has some kind of like foresight upon him. You know, like, uh, like, ah, it is destined that I should meet Bilbo Baggins smoking outside of his door. Like, it's, it doesn't sound like that at all. But then when we get to that point, now all of a sudden, it's, it's like, yeah, this is happening, right? This, this is exactly what's supposed to happen. Mm. Like, he himself is only just realizing that it's in, it's actually the right thing. It's actually the best thing to do. Yeah, yeah. And so I'm, I'm interested to see, obviously, since I know that, you know, we have the whole book after this chapter, I know that Bilbo does indeed go with them. Yep. <laughs> so I will be interested to see what happens in the next chapter that makes Bilbo go, because right now he's in the mindset of like, I'm not going with them. I'm not even going to make them breakfast. So right. I'll be interested right. to see what happens to get him going with them. Well, that will bring us to the end of this episode. Corey, thank you so much for joining me. What would you like to plug um, and share with our audience? And where can they find you on the internet if you have any social media or anything like that? Absolutely. So people can find me. The social media on which I am most active is Twitter. I'm at Tolkien Prof uh, on Twitter. But people can mostly find me at Signum University, which is the the uh, the university that I founded, where we have an awesome Tolkien Studies program, master's degree program, and lots of open public programming that I do every week on Tolkien. And you can find uh, the recordings there's like hundreds and hundreds of hours of my content publicly available on our, our YouTube channel. So if you go to the Signum University, S-I-G-N-U-M uh, YouTube page, you can find lots of stuff there, including uh, discussions of each volume of the Lord of the Rings. And we've actually, I've been discussing my way through the History of Middle-Earth books uh, that Christopher uh, Tolkien published for several years now. We're uh, through volume 10 uh, oh there. Gosh. So there's <laughs> lots of stuff. And then, of course, um, people can join me for my Exploring the Lord of the Rings weekly uh, discussion, um, where I'm discussing my way through the Lord of the Rings sentence by sentence, oh in fact. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, we just did session number... <gasps> 174, I think, this past week. Each session is about an hour and a half. 
Uh, we just finished 174, and we're about two-thirds of the way through the Council of Elrond. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> We've been discussing the Council of Elrond since December of 2019, I think. <laughs> so it's been, it's been a while. Wow, that's madness. <laughs> I, I applaud you for that effort. I think it's the most in-depth book discussion that's yeah. happened in the modern world, oh, actually. Oh, I'll say, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, um, uh, I've had on the podcast, hosts of the podcast, Lord of the Rings Minute, where they analyze mm-hmm. the Lord of the Rings movies minute by minute. And I mm-hmm. thought that was crazy. So <laughs> yeah. going through the book sentence by sentence, that's pretty crazy. <laughs> yeah, we started in January of 2017 and, and uh, we're projecting to finish The Return of the King by somewhere around 2035, I think. So. Well, hopefully the <laughs> pandemic will be over by then. So <laughs> Hopefully it will. Hopefully it will. That's What I'm Talking About is a proud member of WBNE. You can learn more about the network by going to WBNE.org, where you will find all of our shows like Sincerely Us. Dear listener, today's going to be a good day, and here's why. Because today we have found your new favorite podcast. Do you like all things musical theater? Or do you just like Hamilton? Then Sincerely Us is perfect for you. We take deep dives into modern musicals and teach you all that you need to know. From props and sets. To playwrights and composers. We will get you caught up on all things Broadway. We are back and Eenie, two best friends, here to teach you all about the shows that we love. Sincerely Us, a podcast for the casual musical theater fan. Join us every Wednesday wherever you get your podcasts and on WBNE.org. The cover art is by Graphite, aka Vaishan Brandon. You can support him on Instagram at graphite.vmb. You can get merch for That's What I'm Talking About, like stickers, t-shirts, sweatshirts, by going to tpublic.com slash user slash pod or following the link in the description. You can find the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at TolkienAboutPod, as well as join the Facebook group, which is linked in the description. You can find me on Twitter at MCWhatsUp and Instagram at MCTurnDownForWhat. You can support the podcast by becoming a patron. Go to Patreon.com slash TolkienAboutPod, where you will find all of the different tiers and perks. Like the sponsor tier, and this week's sponsor is Christina. Christina, thank you so much for your support if that's what I'm talking about. I love having a restricted section buddy supporting me in this Tolkien endeavor, so thank you so much. And as always, if you like what you're listening to, please rate and review. I'm actually really close to 100 ratings on iTunes, so that's exciting and help me get closer to that by rating and reviewing. Awesome. Well, do you have any parting words for the audience? I just, I think this is a wonderful opportunity to, it's really fun to actually talk with somebody who doesn't know what's going to happen in the rest of The Hobbit. That's, that's, that's really fun. Even when I, uh, you know, even like back years ago when I was teaching this in, in undergraduate classes, uh, I didn't often have that uh, experience. So it's really fun to kind of uh, share and listen to people's reactions through. So just, you know, I would just say enjoy and, you know, give the poems a try. (laughs) Give the poems a try. (laughs) It's worth it. It's totally worth it. And that's what I'm talking about.